Welcome to Celebrate Good Lives. We're a funeral podcast, but we're a little bit interesting. I'm Brad. And I'm Dean. We're just two guys talking about funerals and everything else in between. So join us on our podcast journey. Well, welcome back to Celebrate Good Lives. It's awesome to be back in the studio today. We've just had a big feed, thanks to Barbecue Pit Stop. And, Thank you. Uh, and Vonnie's been ripping us through the donuts. So, look, we're feeling good. We're a little bit lazy. It's late afternoon, and, you know, we just thought we'd rip into a wee potty. Yeah, just another one. We've... Um Put forward some good effort. We've got some fresh flowers, a bit of a new scene. Hope you're taking notice. Yeah, the studio is looking tops and yeah. it'll turn back into another room later on and one day we'll get our own studio. But this is episode 13 and it's great to be back with you. And we, we're sort of thinking today, you know, what sort of podcast can we rip into today? And we kind of thought, let's talk about expected versus unexpected. Mm. And people will probably think to themselves, you know, well... What are they talking about? Yeah, I was just going to say, and just uh, I was just thinking upon those words, yeah, is it expectancies mm. versus unexpectancies? What mm. are you expecting to see or mm. do? And then as well, I'm guessing you're also considering an expected death or an unexpected death. Yeah, so death. I kind of thought about the idea of having unexpected versus expected deaths. What you can, I guess, prepare for, but also what, what can happen and what... What's the likely likelihood of what are the likelihoods of happening when that time comes in the process? Yeah, and I guess mm. so. I'd like to start off with the easy one, the expected. Okay, yeah. so someone's at home or or at the hospital or in hospice care wherever you are, and there's been the doctors or nurses or whoever it is have said to you, look. Things are getting low. Yeah. Um, you know, you really need to start considering the next step and yep. the next step is going to be end of life. That's right. And so what can you expect, I guess, from from that process of end of life care has finished, the person is now deceased, what's the next stage? What happens? Well, generally, um, one of, well, as we sort of describe it to people, you sort of feel where they're at, whether they're in an home, a home care situation or an institutional care situation, mm. um, and uh, making sure that they understand that given the time that it passes, if they're the ones that are in control um, and it's a home care situation, um, make sure you advise your, your doctor or your caregiver first mm. um, that they're aware mm. um, just in case they want to come around, do any double checks that the passing mm. is certified. Um, then contacting the funeral home mm. in, a, in a point of care situation uh, where you're in, in an institution mm. um, as the next of kin advise the staff the facilities as to what your plans mm. will be going forward yeah who's your preferred provider as a funeral service mm -hmm. are you going to do it yourself do you have somebody that you've chosen mm. um and if it's going to be burial or cremation mm. of course we'd always recommend to families that you do use a funeral director if possible um mm. it'd certainly make your life easier but i guess from a from an expected <clears throat> scenario then once the if it's an institutional care or if it's home care you will then someone will make contact with the funeral home now most of the time the funeral home are going to ask you a series of questions typically they'll start with name your name date of birth of the deceased potentially um where embalm or not embalm and burial or cremation 
Those are probably the first questions you'll get asked. You might not, unless you're wanting to delve deeper into what, you know, uh, what your plans are, hmm. you're probably not going to get pressed for plans yeah. um, early on. You know, there's an opportunity there for you to, you know, just have that funeral director come out and, and meet you for the first time on the transfer or, or, or maybe not on the transfer and then make a time for you to come into the funeral home and, and sit down and, you know, sort of make those decisions. The other one, sorry, is who the doctor is. Should sorry, my mistake. Well, uh, if it's the, in a stat, who the doctor, if is, it's yeah. in an institution, the those are generally you don't have to worry too aside. much. Yeah, yeah but t- typically, um, the doctor will be, you know, one of the first questions we'll ask to if it's a home death. Mm. Just just because you know, the doctor doctor has a job there, and and you know ourselves being uh, the receiver of somebody having to get those words out of their mouth the first time that my mom Mm. has passed. Mm. You know, we have fielded that many times. Mm. We um, are considerate and understanding of this newfound situation that people find themselves in. Mm. And the last thing that we really aim to do is to overwhelm you with details and content and things to remember. And Mm. that's that's why you'll find, just as you outlined, it's, it's the core's. The mm. cores that sort of let us continue on behind the scenes, mm. making some plans, doing some progressions, mm. and then getting an idea. If the answers to those questions, advise, like if they fill in the blanks to us that mm. these people have an advanced care plan, mm-hmm. these people have an idea. Okay, can you tell mm. me more? Was there a day? Are there travelers? Mm. Um, There's nothing know. better than when the phone rings and someone's passed away and they go, Oh, mum's got a prepaid with you. Oh, it's great, isn't it? It's oh, great. It's Thank you. Yep. Let me go and grab that file. Yep. Boom, there it is. Oh, we know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And so, there. I mean, we, have, we will bang on and on and on and on a bit more about pre-planning and pre-paying and pre-this and pre-that. Yep. It has a place. It's it a seriously good idea it certainly does and especially if it's expected you know we're talking expected here yeah yeah. and it it certainly when it comes time to make that first engagement you know we've we've met each other over the phone and now you've made the engagement to get together to review the plan and set the plan in place Mm. and put Mm. everything all the details together you know having that already done Eliminates the possibility of up to a three-hour meeting and conversation and detail management mm. um, down to half an hour, mm. and just sort of review that this is the plan that was put in place. Is are this you what have, you want? Is this still this what, you what she wanted? You know, you you were allocated as the next mm. available next to kin, so you still happy with us? Yep, cool, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get this. Let's get this sorted yeah, for you. An, mm. an expected passing on a prepay. Mm. It's like, do those ever happen on a Saturday? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and they tell you when they don't happen at midnight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, so we've sort of covered expected deaths. Anything else that we need to really know about expected deaths? Probably not. I guess, um, you know. I think there's probably some follow-ons. Uh, if if you're in a home care situation, chances are you're under um, the watch of hospice or some mm. sort of um, um, assistance. Yeah. Um, next step is yeah, sort of moving on with them to to remove those things from your house and on to mm. the next people mm. that need them. So, mm. um, but from our standpoint, no, like an expected death is probably the most standard part of mm-hmm. what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then it sort of the arrangements sort of kick over from there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to unexpected. So this mm. is where things start to get a little bit tricky, a little bit technical, and a little bit hard. So because 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 when you let's be honest, when you have an unexpected death, the grief part is hard enough. Well, yeah. Well, everything's unexpected. When it's unexpected, mm. everything the, becomes unexpected. That first phone call to us mm. is now unexpected. There's a bit of. Um, uh, stalling and delivering the initial information because oh my gosh and what are we doing what's mm. happened is this now do we do we call mm. them now and then when we receive it so you know it's not the expected so mm. it's you know we try to field it as if it's fluid and yep okay let's yeah no problem we can help yeah, you and then help. Mm. but there's always um some hoops that require to jumping jump yeah. and always lessons to learn Sometimes they go the same. Mm. Sometimes they don't. Mm. Um, so it's yeah, and I think one thing that people tend to um, the word that always pops up. It starts with C and it ends with R. And every time it comes up with a, with unexpected, it's the same word, and it is the coroner. coroner. Yeah. So the coroner. So everyone goes, oh dad's now under the care of the coroner it's like okay right so, yes. so what is the coroner what yeah. what does a coroner do so i think this is what i really wanted to touch on today and i wanted to talk about the expected side of it because people don't know but i really wanted to educate our listeners today on what is a coroner because there is a difference there between is. a coroner and, and a pathologist yep. And a mortuary technician. Yep. They all work together, but they do not do the same job. Not even close. Not even close. So let's go coroner first. Right. You do coroner. No, you do coroner. Oh. You you just went and listened to the coroner talk, know, so you've got a great understanding. Okay. Look, a coroner basically is a... They're a lawyer. They're a lawyer. They sit in an office... And they field uh, calls for it's, unexpected deaths. It's an appointed position, it, correct? Sorry, it is an appointed position. Um, yeah. They're you get asked, basically a judge. You get asked to be it. Yeah. They're basically a judge, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so there's a bit of a process. You don't just become a coroner. Um, you, you are appointed. And as, as a reminder, we're going to be talking about New Zealand standards of what... Yeah, a, we are. We are. We are. Of what a, all this is. So And so the coroner basically is uh, a person who makes a decision about whether someone, A, first and foremost, needs to have a post-mortem or an autopsy. And secondly, they have jurisdiction. So they have jurisdiction over the body. So this is where people get, this is where it gets technical. This yes. is where it gets difficult. Yep. And the fact that they have jurisdiction, which means they own the deceased, basically. Don't they? I, as my understanding, yeah. yeah. And there's nothing that can be done until the coroner releases the body, releases the deceased. So... <clears throat> the coroner is not the person that performs the autopsy or the post-mortem. They are, basically their role is to look at case notes, say from the police, from the hospital, from um, nurses, from 
They doctor's are, records everywhere. They are essentially like a death detective. Correct. And then at the end of the day, at the once they receive all that, they will make a decision on whether the deceased needs to have an autopsy or does not need to have an autopsy or the doctor should sign or whatever it may be. Mm. Now, they are 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And they are fielding hundreds of, well, they're, they're, they're fielding about 6,500 coroner's calls a year. Wow. Unexpected deaths. Wow. Now, the coroner I went and listened to, she was fantastic. Tracy Fitzgibbon, I think her name was. She was fantastic. Mm. And she said she has currently 285 coroner's cases on her desk at the moment. Oh, can you imagine that stack of files? Two hundred, And she goes, 90% of them are waiting for something. So she's right. so, so what happens is she's reviewed the case. The postmortem's been done already. Person will either be buried or cremated. And... They, she has gone back to the police or to an agency and said, I need more information about this. Right, before she can... Before she can carry on. Bring the inquest to a close. Correct. Yep. Then once she's got all the information and she's happy to make a decision, then she will write what you, what you will get, which is a coroner's report. And that will be pages long. Yes. And it will be a mixture of all the information that's been provided to her from all the different agencies and then put into a report and that gets sent to the next of kin. That is what a coroner does. Yes. Is that pretty yeah. good? That's it's very good. Was that detailed enough? I think so. Okay, good. I think so. So let's go back then. Or well, the coroner's still involved all the way and through until the deceased is released. Mm-hmm. While the while the deceased is under coroner's jurisdiction, yep. what happens with the deceased? Where where do they go? Okay, let's talk locally mm-hmm. a little bit. Sure. And then let's talk about what happens. Right. So uh, for us, we're in the Bay of Plenty. So my understanding is that a death that occurs around our local area mm-hmm. is transferred to Rotorua. Or? Uh, Hamilton. Correct. And then that is where they decide they will then, the deceased rests there, remains there until the pathology the autopsy and the pathology report and the request for tests have been concluded yeah and then they are then so, so released the coroner back orders the an autopsy the coroner orders an autopsy it can't be done in, in Fakatani or Tauranga it's either Rotorua or Hamilton yeah and they order the autopsy and then the pathologist steps in right so the pathologist, this this was my jam. This is what this, this is what, what you wanted to do. This is what I, I wanted to do originally. So the pathologist is um, a medical professional. He's he, she, they. A specialist doctor. Are, are a doctor. Um, and they then look at what the coroner is wanting to see. What is the coroner's questions? Mm. And then those are the tissue samples, the tests, that they order mm. be processed on that person. Mm-hmm. And that order goes down to the technician. The technician is the feet on the floor mm-hmm. in, the, in the mortuary doing the actual... Autopsy. Yeah, doing so they, the actual 
So taking of tissues. Essentially, and a mortuary technician is basically very similar to an embalmer to a certain extent. To a certain extent. To a certain extent, but they're the ones with their feet on the ground, the tools in hand, doing the doing actual it. autopsy. Yep. So they're the ones doing the autopsy, doing the postmortem examination. Yep. They're the pathologist the ones, a lot of the time is there, though. Yep. The, the pathologist does rotate through. Um, there is, and, and I understand in regard to the coroner, on any given weekend in New Zealand, there is only one coroner Correct. for the entire country. Correct. All You're the making islands. it sound like it's the States. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really not that big. It's but not that there's big. a lot of cases that go through that one coroner. Correct. But I tell you yeah. what, if, if you're the coroner and you're in Wellington, mm. man, you, there's a lot of deaths that happen all around. So they rotate so. for a week once every six weeks, Yeah, apparently. Mm. That's the story. What a what a workload. Those people are, um, they're they're their give back to the community is immeasurable. Those those mm. people do a ton of work. So the pathologist then, um, as we were saying, orders the tests that need to be done. The technician executes the tests mm. and the results show back up to the pathologist who then reads the results, interprets the results, mm-hmm. provides a pathological report, mm-hmm. and that goes back to the coroner who then says fine i'm happy with all that information you can release now mm-hmm. so that's when you finally mm. get your loved one back right. in, into your so care. a lot of people will be saying gee this sounds like a process it is it sounds like a process how long is this going to take best case scenario is everything happens during the week um and you are one day turnaround so that's best case scenario. So time, so death one day, release the next. Release the next afternoon. Mm. You'd assume mm. you would you would try to plan for mm. as as the funeral home in mm. knowing what's happening. If it's over a weekend, um, generally these folks work limited hours on a Saturday, mm. and then they don't work on a Sunday. Oh, doesn't work. And on a so Saturday then, at all. Mm. and so then everything gets stacked up mm. for a couple of days. Mm. There becomes a backlog. And yeah, so now you're looking at what was one day to maybe two, three, possibly four. four. Mm. So um, in efforts to alleviate the waitings, Mm. um, they have tried to transition some of the investigations to... CT? uh, Yeah, Mm. through some more advanced testing rather Mm. than the the time-consuming part of Mm. doing the actual postmortem. You know, and we we understand that this this is a... It's a hard time for families, you know. We we, we spend a lot of time, you know, fielding phone calls, fielding conversations, being that middleman essentially between the family, the coroner, you know, everything in between. You know, generally somebody has, the the fabric of somebody else's life has literally been torn Mm -hmm. and and they just want it back. They They just want yesterday back and you can understand it. Um, and trying to help that happen, but man, it can just be, um, you just, it can be an absolute waiting game. Mm. Some cultures, their culture, some of the cultures Mm. just don't allow for more than 24 hours, two Mm. days, three Mm. days that this is supposed to be happening. Mm. This isn't, this isn't right. So there's a lot of elements that all these people are trying to work with in mm. and around during all of it. So mm. um, very difficult times. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Unexpected passings. So we hope that you maybe got something out of that today. You might have learned something. You know, it's uh, it, it is when it comes to unexpected deaths. Patience. I know it's so difficult, but patience is a virtue. There really is nothing, you know, regardless of where you are, there is nothing that your funeral director can do that can speed this process up. Yeah. There is nothing we can do. Yeah. You know, it, it is a waiting game. It is a hard waiting game, but it is a waiting game. It's all a legal it's all a legal process. It's every everybody wants answers. Everybody wants to know. Mm. Um, why you do have why, a right why, to why? you do have a right to turn a postmortem down you do uh, that can turn into more of a nightmare than actually going through with it mm. sometimes in the time frame side of things you know you do also at an expected death mm. have the opportunity for a postmortem to be True. requested yeah um, so one key thing to know so one with all this traveling and, tra- mm. and moving around that happens. Mm. That all gets taken care of on the coroner's dollar. The coroner's mm. office pays for all of those Ministry of Justice, transfers. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah Ministry of Justice um, pays for all of those. Should you wish for an examination to take place just to satisfy some hereditary questions mm. inside your mind? Mm. Um, yeah, there is a significant cost to a private postmortem pathologist. Yeah, mm. report. Man, I gotta guess somewhere around two, two and a half grand. I gotta. I thought it was more. Gotta imagine. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. I haven't had to do one for a long time, but unfortunately, I, I've never done one. I, I feel like it might have been about around the five. Whoa! But Goodness. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Goodness me! Could have been a while. Yeah. All right. Interesting. I just wanted to give you one little fact. Okay. Uh, yep. Just a just a quick story, actually. In Australia, when I was when I was working over there, they were so short on pathologists, like so short on pathologists, that we had to drive our deceased five hours just to get a post mortem done. But now they're even shorter on pathologists, that they now have to go twelve hours. Twelve hours for a post mortem. They're looking at a week turnaround wow. on a PM now. Wow. When we say PM, we mean postmortem. A week turnaround on a PM. Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but I thought it was bad when we were there for five hours. Juice. But 12-hour turnaround, that's just to get the deceased to the mortuary. Then they get in line with everybody else because in everyone in between that 12-hour distance has got to travel there as well, mm. all those towns and cities. So for those that don't know, we're in Mackay. So Mackay, the next big town's Rockhampton, next big town's Bundaberg, next big town, uh, Gympie, Sunshine Coast, and then Brisbane. Whoa. And that's where the postmortems were. So they were doing all of Brisbane and all those cities going up, Gladstone, all of those. So... Wow, yeah, bit of a fun fact, not a fun fact, horrible fact actually. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's uh, who would have thought that that was that was the case, mm. especially in yeah. I can I would imagine so in some other lower developed countries, mm. Asia's mm. things like that. But yeah, certainly wouldn't have been expected Insane. that. Um, Interesting. Well, cool podcast, very informative, very educational today. We'll try and bring back something a little bit. Yeah, I was sitting here thinking <laughs> as you were talking, I was trying to think of a way to sort of. Bring bring a bit of uh, a bit of pop to this one, but um, I That's think very this one was this one was pretty.
probably pretty informational as to mm. yeah what um expectations are mm. for an expected and unexpected passing yeah mm. 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 great to catch up with you great to be back with our listeners and um we'll catch you again soon thanks a lot yeah thanks man <laughs>